Hello, welcome back to Flights to Allegasia. Uh, obviously, it is our 51st episode, and we are chilling and having a good time. So I want to say thank you again for all of you all support. We actually have a new Patreon this week. We want to introduce them. Thank you to Lexi Tobias for joining our Patreon. And at the $5 tier, we hope to have you on an interview soon here with us and enjoy it. So I hope you guys are, I uh, hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, today for us, the day of recording is a big, big day. Because let's be honest here, this is the game of a very young, young century, I think. I believe Sorry, this is. This, this is, is a game big, of what? This is the biggest game of a very young century. The Duke-UNC game, the last game Krzyzewski is going to have at the home court as a regular season oh, game. Shit. Is that tonight? That's tonight. 6 oh, p.m. Damn. Eastern time. I honestly don't want to watch that. The cheapest tickets are going for $4,000. Absolutely understandable. But seeing the shit show that my heels put up last time, ugh. Yeah. That was bad. I think I think they've done better since then. I think they've grown in the past month though a little bit better. So we'll see how they do. Well, the thing is, is like I have too much respect for Shashevsky to like want him to lose his last game against them. That's like fair. I know that's heresy coming from like how I was raised, but at the same time, like I can't root against the man to lose his last game against UNC. Like it's he's retiring. I respect the hell out of him. I can't really like say, yeah, screw you, Shusevsky. Like, no, I want him to have like a good end to his to his career. Yeah. Um talk about ending careers is someone else who had to end half of his career in this section that we're gonna be covering today. That was uh, a terrible segue. Yeah, I'm gonna take that out, probably. <laughs> that was a terrible segue. No, leave it in. It was just bad. They'll find it funny. <laughs> oh boy, thanks. Um <laughs> but as we are jumping in we won't talk about basketball too much um and sports too much i know we do talk about sports and half of you guys care and half of you guys could care less uh and that means that they do care i couldn't i said couldn't care less no, you said could care less no i that said means... couldn't care less okay um <laughs> uh, with that being said armin go ahead and take it away i think it's a pretty decent session we're covering oh yeah we covered around 50 pages um oh, yeah so this we're starting off with chapters 31, 32, Matter of Perspective and Kiss Me Sweet. We're ending with chapters 33 and 34. I wrote that incorrectly in the notes. Uh, Gloomra and Clan Meet. So, first of all, the Matter of Perspective. Now, this is honestly, this is kind of just Paolini showing off how good of a writer he is. But, um, or how Papas Safira is. Either one. I haven't decided yet. Facts. Um, we get a section purely from Safira's perspective. I didn't think we'd ever get that. Uh, I thought Palini was content to keep the divide purely from Aragon and possibly Roran and Nisueta's perspectives, but we get a full one from Safira's perspective, and I like I like how he did it. I like how he differentiated her thought process from a lot of human ones, and he made her, <clears throat> he intentionally made her very different. So, um, Especially like the awkward description of the wind, where it's saying like the hyphenated words that are sort of strung together. Um, whereas we really would have just said like hot wind or cold wind. Um, where Safira doesn't have a word for that. Like he instantly shows off that there's something different with that language barrier and sort of how she addresses or would describe things differently. Um, which is really cool. It was really uh it's really interesting to see how Paulini thought of 
Safira's personality in terms of not only like not just her personality, but also like what she actually is. Like she is, I mean, she's above mortals. That, that's kind of what I learned from this section. Is that she does she gives no shits. Nope. Um, and the insights. What did you think about which part? This about Safira's person, like her perspective. I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't think it was. I hate to say it this way. I don't think it was necessary, but I really enjoyed hearing it. I, I the, the reason I guess I just don't feel like it's so important is because in my head, there's no. I mean, I guess you get the whole like dream near the end, and or like in the middle. I think it's in the end, and you also get the her longing for Aragon and how strong their connection is to know that he was attacked or like believe that he was attacked, you know, which yeah. is great, which is awesome. I still feel like a lot of those things could have been covered when they reunited. Yeah. And we already knew them. Exactly. And so I think it's one of those, those situations where it's great to hear it. It's really cool to hear it, but I do not believe it was a hundred percent necessary. And it could have been easily put into a section with Aragon when they reunited. It could have been easily put into a section with Roran. So I, and, and granted, I think it's great. I mean, obviously a matter perspective is exactly what this um, chapter means. It's the matter perspective. It's Saphir's perspective now. And so it's how she feels about what she is doing in the world, how she is having to act and how she is having to live. And I think it's also kind of a, for her, it's, it's, she's just lonely. And, and I think that's the biggest catch here is that she's very lonely, yeah. which is fair. And she states it, you know, she's been with Aragon since birth and there's been hardly times when they weren't together, at least even had connection by the mind, you know, it's for this long. And so um, it, it's, I don't know. It just, I felt unnecessary. Um, and I, I think ironically, I think the matter perspective is a great kind of funny play on words with how, what, uh, the girl does with the illusion of Aragon. I'm just like, oh, I think yeah. that was kind of a little bit of a, yeah. like a slight oh, comment. Kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was cool. I enjoyed it, but I feel like I get a lot of Safira's perspective when I'm with Aragon anyway. Yeah. We mostly, the biggest thing we get in terms of like her perspective is just how different she sees the world than humans. But, but I mean, we could already have assumed that she's a dragon. That's um, kind of how, that goes but um it's it is interesting and i i do agree i'm just looking to get back into the plot like back into the big like turning of events and the how things are going to play out yeah and palini's not ready to get there yet um we're building there yeah so but um there's honestly not much else to talk about the dream i honestly don't really feel like we need to discuss that like the dream was i'm not sure what we can glean from it I didn't really see anything particular of note, just that it was another dream. And she's not the only one having them. Aragon's having them as well. Yeah. I think the big thing is that you got to realize, I think a different fact besides the dream, sorry, is that how she sees herself compared to other dragons. That she's, oh, yeah. You know, I think that's really it. All right. Uh, it uh, seems very, <laughs> it, she seems very pompous in that how she is the most beautiful dragon. And yeah, I'm not no, I saying, yeah. I, and, and and good for her for having confidence, but at the same time, I'm like, is that, 
I don't know. Like it was just, it's just very, it's just very out of the blue how that's how she sees herself compared to other dragons. And yeah. and, I, and I wonder if she'll ever see a dragon where she doesn't feel that way. You know? Yeah, I mean, she's only seen two. Um, yeah. And but I agree. That's definitely that wasn't something I was expecting to see from her. Although, it sort of does tie into the um, sort of more powerful beings or more arcane beings are also more arrogant in terms of how they see humans. Right. Um, it's like in. Uh, once again, for any of our Skyrim players out there, it's like the, uh, it's almost, she is reflecting the uh, ideas of the dragons in Skyrim, how they think that they are the rulers of the world. They think that they are like the firstborn of the gods. They are the ones that should be ruling and the humans are insignificant. Um, Sephira doesn't think humans are insignificant. She thinks most of them are. But um, that, I mean, it is, arrogance has arrogance sounds like we're ripping on Sephira too much it's not what how we mean this or at least not how I mean it but she is rather arrogant in that and like in those statements but that's sort of how she is uh which was just an interesting insight to her how, just how she sees things I think when I was reading with Michelle earlier and when I was reading aloud she was just she just got like laughed about it because it's just so yeah. pompous like all her statements oh just yeah like wow okay I see yeah. okay you know it's just really funny so and, and a part of me actually wonders I mean Noah Pellini, there's probably, I don't know if there's an actual reason for this one. The only thing I can think of in terms of his reasoning is that maybe there comes a time when she's challenged for being the best dragon or something. And she's just like, well, guess what? I am the best dragon. And like, I don't know how well it's going to go for her. Yeah, honestly, that would be an interesting thing to watch is because we've seen Aragon fall. Like we've seen him lose yeah. a couple of times. He still is a cocky motherfucker. Oh yeah, but um, we haven't really seen Safira fail, and yeah. if we are treating her like a separate entity, as Palini is writing her right now, that would be a very interesting thing to watch or to witness is to see Safira herself fall to another dragon, or at least lose the battle. Yeah, because Aragon does lose to Murtog, like in oh, yeah. Aragon, but Safira is beating Thorn. Yeah, um, and when they have that uh, encounter again. So it would that would definitely be something interesting to watch. I honestly I'm fairly confident that we'll get that. Okay. I'm fairly confident that Palini would be able would consider writing that in. Um aside from that, there's a nice little detail about describing Arya's thoughts as music when she tries to uh link in with Arya, just sort mm-hmm. of the elves and their whole um the elves and their connection to music, which yeah. is cool because I'm a music nerd. Then we move on to Roran's perspective when we go to Kiss Me Sweet. I like, there's not much to talk about in terms of Roran's chapter, but I do like the perspective he takes on the Laughing Dead, or uh, our, our Dancing Dead, or our Running Dead, or whatever we dancing want to call Dancing Dead, yep. Um, I hope you all know that as long as they exist, we're going to clown them. Oh, yes. But, um, but I, I, I will like say I was he, wrong. I was wrong. I was hoping that um, Redbeard would, you know, was already enchanted but apparently that's not the scenario <laughs> no i mean it technically still could be i guess but i think um, i don't think it is yeah from this one it just seems more of like a honestly if we want to go back to barriers i mean he wasn't technically an obstacle for roran's ascension if roran was still under his command so if you injure him and move him out so maybe he's not dead but roran now has room to grow yeah um, in a mild sense, that one's less extreme than like the Braum one, but um, right. and but I like 
like the point that he makes to Nasueda when he's talking about um, when she asks if this would be a good thing to do to our warriors, which please stop thinking about that. But I like how he responds. He says, yes, they're yes, they don't feel pain. Yes, they can fight for longer, but it makes them reckless yeah. and it makes them overconfident and it brings their demise anyway, because they don't plan. They don't avoid traps. They don't. Yeah. Um, try to hide they take every fight and they end up dying anyway yeah. so i like how he points that out to Nasueda in to negate her thoughts of replicating it amongst the varden yeah. also i find it hilarious sorry this was actually still in chapter 31 a matter of perspective i find it hilarious that safira interrupted roar and katrina by like touching roar's mind be that nice. was funny as hell i was like that would be <laughs> That would be such a cock block. But, um, and then, wow. and then she also brings down his mood. <laughs> yeah. Same, you know what I mean? Like, she doesn't just cock block him. She brings down his whole entire fucking mood where he's just like, not even, yeah. probably, I'm like, damn. That <sighs> so tough. That, that, oh man, I felt bad for the man there because, you know, <laughs> Dale. The alpha went on war in the one night you have, maybe, and this dragon yep. just destroys. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's just tough my man um, um <laughs> in terms of kiss me sweet not much happens roaring has a guilty conscience whoop-de-doo um yeah. we've already we've known that i mean honestly he didn't really feel that way when he was actually murdering people but i feel like now that he is now that the pressure is not on him to always make the right decision now he has to follow orders or he has to do it this way that tells him now he, he has more time to think about what he might be doing wrong. Because yeah. when he was leading the Varden, he didn't really question himself at all. Um, he did sometimes, but he didn't really question himself because he was leading. And when you have to make constant decisions like that very quickly, then you can't really question yourself all that much. Yeah. Now, should he have questioned himself more? Absolutely. Before he started murdering people. But this one, he has more time to think about it. And this one, he is acting for on a greater stage than just than, than just moving the villagers from Carball. He's right. part of a military campaign. Um yeah. so I do like how he's catching it's catching up to him. He has a guilty conscience conscience and he just wants to go back to his farm and plant, although we all know he's not going to. So who do you think is uh because uh sorry uh the is telling him that he can't be a captain yet and so who do you think is going to be like what kind of scenario do you think he's going to be put in as his next regiment either something goes wrong and he has to like take up arms with the rest of them or maybe they'll ju- he'll join the sacking of a city okay. or there'll be another case scenario like redbeard where he's put under another person's command and he's hitting supply lines again yeah. i could see all of those pretty fairly equally happening like yeah. equal, having equal chances of happening um I feel I want it to be one of the bigger ones. Like I.e. like Thorn and Murtaugh show up and oh. or like something like something bad happens. Yeah. Um where they, they like or they go into Sac City, like something of a bigger scale, but I could also see them him just going back to hitting supply lines. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I do kind of remember this next section of Rorance. So I won't say anything because I kind of remember what occurs. Not like hundred percent what occurs, but I definitely know who he's going to be with um 
I think it's one of those situations though for Warren where he's I mean I think you're right I don't think he's going to go back to the the farming land like I just don't see it no like as much as he'd love to I don't think he will and yeah yeah and that's a true but also a very tragic thing that happens in real life is that soldiers often have a very hard time adjusting back to what we would call normal life yeah um, i mean you can, you can read american sniper and i mean there's, absolutely there's all there's, they talk about it a lot where you know he'd wake up he'd come home from deployments and he'd wake up like gripping like super strongly onto his wife's arm and like not being able to let go and like and almost in shock i guess and like from yeah. PTSD, it's just you know you can't come back from some of those situations easily yeah um a very very heartbreaking book um that i think you'd enjoy that uh if any of you out there have read it, is tim o'brien's the things they carried um it's a soldier and journalists um reflections on him and his unit and what happened in vietnam but also not just it's a very sort of existential collection of stories about some of the stuff that happened there some of the stuff that happened uh when they got back uh how almost all of them had trouble adjusting and um it deals a lot with truth and like what happened and what didn't happen in terms of um, what he remembers, some of the PTSD he has, some of the PTSD the rest of his unit had. Um, but it's a very heartbreaking book and the host that is a tragic condition. Um, so I, I definitely see Roar potentially having that as well. Because, um, I mean, the way this has gone, if he and Katrina survived this and total peace is brought then maybe but the way that things are going so far i, I doubt it yeah thank you um which is sad so i mean i think it's what's gonna happen yeah and it's yeah it's a really sad fact of our lives too yeah um moving on to aragon section we're back with the dwarves uh, chapters 33 and 34 Gloomera and clan meet I'm not going to lie I know the first section was also very tragic but the initial description of like where Aragon was reminded me so much of the nether in Minecraft oh my god yes yeah like the, the, the like blue or grayish part it's got like the, uh, yeah, the got, like, stalagmites and the yes. yeah it's got like it's all underground and it's kind of dark and there's like the luminous fungi so either like Black Reach in Skyrim or Minecraft or the, the Nether in Minecraft. That's perfect. Um, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good description. So um Aragon breaks the news to one of his guards' mothers, Gloomra. Right. Um and uh we get this uh display of grief. Aragon's trying not to step on anybody's toes because he doesn't want to, you know, offend her. And I wanted to just take note, there were several points in here. And this is just probably just because I've been reading a lot of classical literature and a lot of classical tragedy lately. But um, the way that Palini describes Gloomer's grief is almost identical to the way that it's the grief and mourning is described in classical literature that um, I think he specifically uses like the tearing at your hair or like um, and that sort of physical emotion of distress that beating one's breast. And um, those are, common ways to describe to describe grief and mourning but they hearken all the way back to like the Iliad um and I'm not sure if that's like a reference to it or that's where those expressions actually come from 
but they're very they're common ways of doing it shakespeare uses them a lot too um yeah so i was i was just struck me with that specific description of grief because it's almost identical to a lot of some of the other stuff i've been reading lately yeah um aside from that there's honestly not too much to say on my end between the whole gloomer scene um and how like they invite the rest of the guards in for the feast the dynamic is interesting especially aragon's musings over his uh like the religion and truth musings that he has over um sort of gloomer's faith and how she views um where her son will be going and his since he's privy to all the other religions of the world especially even the elves who don't have one um maybe not don't have one is not the right word but they don't have gods right is once again it's interesting to think about and it is not entirely necessary but it's very interesting to think about there's a lot of palini's filler content isn't really filler content because it's meaningful but it's not meaningful to the entire plot but it's still filler content like it's taking up of that like so much of the space in between these big plot points but it's not filler because it's actually like really deep and very intelligent and very insightful but it's still filler yeah no that makes Um, sense and Aragon makes another goddamn promise. Uh, come on, dude! This time he promised her that he would kill. Was it that he'd actually kill them? I think it was that he actually killed. Them. I think it was actually anyway, killed them. Yeah, he promised that he would go after whoever the group that killed the son. <sighs> Guess what happens? We know what happens. He doesn't. He can't. He can't. And he promises that. And. Oh my God! If he want, if he wants people to stop expecting things of him, he shouldn't have become a writer. A and B, he should stop <laughs> making the promises that he can't keep. I know. He's, oh my God! He's a boy who cried wolf <laughs> with all of his promises. Honestly, seriously, he's—I don't know how he has gotten in more trouble for him. I don't know. I don't like, know because he's a writer. That's why. Let's be honest. That's, you, that's a writer. Next yeah. thing, I, next, next thing I see is Sapir is unable to construct the star but the that's her promise not his but still um yeah that one if, if she doesn't be able, if she's not able to do that that's just unnecessarily conflicted uh, like, i think um, in this whole entire section starting with bloomer the aragon learns to hold his tongue in other people's culture whereas before he was very he blurted out a lot he just went for the action he well let's be honest here he was very much like me who just did things and without thinking and so and then do you know, take take have the repercussion repercussions later. Uh, but you know, Aragon here is learning to hold his tongue, understand that it might be insulting, even if it doesn't make sense to him. That to another person, it could be very insulting to even offer to help or offer to stop or anything. You know, so he's he's coming to terms and coming to ease. I won't say ease of mind because let's be honest here, he's still very. I would be very conflicted if someone just cut off their finger right in front of me too. Um, oh yeah. But he's, he's learning to accept that this is how others cultures are. And this is how other people's lives. They were, this is how they're trained to be. And this is what they believe in. And so yeah. I think that's a big understanding for Aragon from book one is that he can't, and he shouldn't intervene. And with yeah. people's, with people's things and people's uh, culture. 
So I don't Absolutely. know. It does a little. I mean, it's obviously shown a little bit later here too in this in this next chapter in Clan Meat. But in this chapter, I think it starts. You know, we can even see it a little bit farther back in terms of with Oryx with Oryx's speech about him in the Forest of Stone, where he's like, "Hey, look, you can't do that because that is you will get shanked. You will die. You will get your your throat." And like, yeah. And so the whole point is that he's learning that even if he believes it's not right or believes there's a better situation, the best situation is for him just to be there and not do anything about it. And yeah. Just accept he's, it. he's, he's slowly and surely re- learning respect. Yeah. Like, um, and that's, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's that, you're absolutely right. He is definitely making a lot of progress here. And um, I do like Pauline makes sure that it shows he's still conflicted, Yeah. but he knows better. Like he, he knows better than to do anything about it and um he listens to Oric. he respects what Oric was the information Oric gave him and he chooses to respect uh Gumra, which is that i'm right i was that was a very i like how that dynamic was handled yeah um so uh and as well just dealing with grief in general that also is and dealing with grief in general that also is the in terms of how Aragon could have handled that about the best way he could have. Um, but you're definitely right about cultures. And honestly, I don't think you give yourself enough credit. You, you do calculate risks. They're just the oh. equations balanced on one side. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you, do, you do think before you speak some of the time. Some of the time. Like you, you have a very good social awareness and perception. I appreciate you just. You just choose not to utilize it sometimes, but you don't choose the wrong moment not to utilize it. Like you do have fairly good timing. Unless and then, it comes to your death. <laughs> and then to every every now and then that happens and it's too good to miss. <laughs> it is not. It is just it's so sweet. Ah. <laughs> but um all right. But that's I, I do like that you pointed that out. Aragon does make like, I did really appreciate how he handled this section. And this is one of one of the filler sections that I'm more okay with that I'm glad Palini put in. Yeah. Because it's more part of Aragon's character development and um and more just a message of just like sort of, you know, people are different. Yeah. People have different I, I, cultures. That yeah. Is, yeah. And not and, much more and, to it. And with the way he wrote this section, goodness, I would love to have him write a book in the of two lawyers going at it or something i'm just saying i think that would be really cool i know he will never, i know i know he never will you said two lawyers yeah i just like just the way oh. he makes it such a like a like a courtroom aspect i would love for him to write a like a, write a book like a short book on it or something you know what i mean i don't know. i think i would too i would too but i feel like palini would turn my cousin Vinny into like a 10-hour movie i don't know what my cousin Vinny is you've never seen my cousin Vinny? No what what is that it's it's an older law movie it's like one of my favorite law like is that the one is that the one where they like they're in a courtroom the whole entire movie it's black and white movie no no um so it's essentially this uh i don't know if he's a new york lawyer but he's his two nephews i can't remember the nephews or his cousins but um his two these two kids uh are down south and they uh they're driving a car and they pass convenience store and then they're later convicted for murder because uh somebody drove their car away and hit a run i think is how it goes um so it's this like new york lawyer in southern courts uh, like trying to defend his because it's a it's a hilarious movie uh, but it's joe pesci and um marissa tomei 
are with both of them when they're really young are um are the lawyer and his girlfriend and they have a fantastic dynamic but it's really funny and he ends up uh getting their way out of it but huh, it's I, a great, I, I haven't seen that one. you should watch it it's a very okay. like endearing movie it's also it's very funny but um okay. i was no it's very funny it's good but um it's it's not like it's not particularly long but it's got all the court proceedings it's got all that stuff um so i agree like palini does write like political tension and court proceedings very well although overall how everything went in terms of politically with this auric narrative and how he addresses the clan meet yeah he covers every base very well yes and in real life he never would have been able to do that of course not yeah no like he wouldn't have even gotten past the first like do you know where we came from <laughs> like yeah he like, would not the way, have he, the way he starts that. it the way he starts it you're just like get to the fucking point shut up and get to the point yeah like he i honestly i was really surprised that nobody interrupted him that might just be the symbol of like at least the doors respect each other's time in terms of how they like talk but i think i think that's a big thing though because i mean you talked about or we talked about how in the past with these decisions being made it's all to the most littlest of things and before you even you know what i mean so it's you know you're able to hunt here so i can gather your crops there you know and stuff like that so I'm, I'm not surprised he's able to do it in this world and in this culture that Paulini has sure. created, but in, in our reality, no, this. Would oh, absolutely. Absolutely not. We don't have the patience for that shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it is, not right. In a law yeah. and the lawyers in the courtroom. Uh, I mean, it technically a filibuster, but. Well, yeah, um, but like, here's the thing, like within an actual courtroom, you know, the defendant or the attorney, or the, the other attorney would stand up and say objection and says oh yeah absolutely and so like this it's an actual courtroom now but this yeah this is very this is very much um i guess i guess maybe maybe a courtroom setting is not the words i was looking for this is very sherlock holmes-esque like a mystery novel like a short little mystery yeah like it's like holmes like laying out his all of the uh the clues and the facts that he's pieced together and then the who does Exactly. Yeah. So maybe this is more of like a whodunits than a like a lawyer that, scene. That's fair. That's fair. Um, this is actually lined in my cousin's busy. Get to the point, Mister. I forgot the actual name. Um, but uh, get to the point, Mister Pesci. Um, but because um, the judge is like this really like really tall old southern man. Um, but anyway, anyway. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm going to go watch that movie now. But um. Yes. It was also really smart of Orc to get most of the notable questions on the table so that people can't throw them at him later. Of course. Um, that's one of the biggest things that politicians love to do is like ask dumb questions to make it seem like you didn't make a good argument. Yeah. Um, I mean, hell, Socrates did that to ask questions to get people to go like to like match a thought process that he wanted them to go to. Um like he asked, like Socrates would ask questions to like and lead people to a conclusion. It's like, all right, so is this true? Okay, if this is true, is this true? All right, if that's true, then is this true? Okay, is that true? Then this true. If that's true, then this is the conclusion that I wanted you to get to. Yeah. Um, so it's smart of Oric to think of that and to get the questions on the table so that people can't throw them at him later. And I do like the structure of Oric's argument. I just don't think it would last in like a real forum. But um I do like how he he establishes Aragon's importance and Aragon's relevance before talking about what happened to Aragon. 
So it prevents that so what he's a writer instead makes it a oh he's a writer and that happened. Right. So and then Orc lays it out, he covers every base to have very complete and concrete evidence. Everybody agrees. And this was actually this was one of my favorite parts. Um realizing that Vermin can just be ignored. Goodness. Like he doesn't that Goodness. was insane. That was that I I really really appreciated that part because he's like not provoking him to war, but literally just ignoring him was a fantastic touch. This is this is the silent treatment to the max. Oh yeah, it is. No, this is this is silent treatment on steroids. Like this, <laughs> but it works so well. And it's also like yeah. uh, that one. I really like how Balini played that one out and towards the end there because. Um, anything that you do to us will be an act of war. So, it's like, okay, we won't do literally anything. Yeah. And he like takes him off. Like the guards even buy into it. Like they take him off, but they don't even look at him as they do it. Yeah. And they yeah. just, everybody ignores him until he leaves. That was just, that was, I, yeah. And, and a part of me wonders if he already had that thought process to begin with. He did. He definitely did. But another thing is, Okay, maybe he does. Who did he? Blah, 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 blah. Who did he know? Who was banished <laughs> also from the dwarven clan? Because there has to be someone for him to know that this is a scenario that is going to occur, and this is what it actually happens when someone is banished from the dwarven clans. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I he could have read it in the history books. I understand that, but point yeah. is, is you know. History can change. Even though history is repetitive, history can change in terms of how things happen. So maybe in you know in this in this time in their life, you know, banning just meant that you weren't allowed in the area, but people could still talk to you. And so you know, it's one of those situations where I, I feel like there had to be a, a, a big enough historical event and before this, where someone, whether it's a whole ass clan or just a singular dwarf was banned from sure. the dwarven world. And so I, I, I don't know. It just, it just makes me curious of that little aspect, which I, you know, I don't think we'll ever find out. And I don't know if you know, there's a thought behind it. Um, if we don't find out, maybe I'll ask Panini about it and when we interview with him next. But it's one of the scenarios where this is not something you, you know the outcome of without having it, without either experiencing it or read it before at least. And so I'm just curious on where he got it. Because yes, you can ban, a lot of people can be banned from many places. It doesn't mean that they can't be talking to the people who are still interacting with that place. That's fair. I see your point. I think there's also, there's probably a fair amount of like legal precedent. Um, because also the dwarves have been around for a long time. Um, and I believe they, aren't their lives longer? Like, Yeah, it's like a hundred something years. Yeah, so like they've, like Oric and the rest the the rest of the clan leaders have been around for much longer time um and also like even if it may not have happened in their lifetime there's still legal precedent like there's still like um actions that do follow and um at least in terms of how we do court cases now is that every court case made by the higher government institution sets a legal precedent for later on uh even if that legal precedent happened in the current judge's lifetime or not yeah. Um, but the judge, but like in there, I understand that the claim leaders aren't judges, but they know their history. So like, then it's the judge's job to know what that precedent is. Yeah. I think um, it's really funny that he describes it with the white beard. It just made me think of like the English 
um, in like yeah. in England when they go to court with the white pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it would have gone that smoothly in real life, but or pretty much hit every base. Like he he covered that one pretty well. He did. He if I needed him to fight me as an attorney, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. And he also he does say afterwards that he was planning on getting um as Swollen Rock on Anun. I butchered that, sorry. Um, he was planning on getting them banned in the first place. Okay. Um, like he said, Aragon asks him afterwards, he says, Yeah, I was planning on doing that anyway. I just needed to like something to lead up to it. Yeah. So then I actually wonder why you like what was the collateral with the hundred guards outside? That was Oryx men looking for them. Remember, Oryx says that he takes his his clan and his soldiers and they go out and they do a bunch of stuff and he sends Aragon to um uh to Gloomra. And oh, the, I, thought, like, I, thought the like I thought there were a hundred guards outside of, like the court proceeding, ready for anything to charge in. No, they were talking about the aftermath of the attack on Aragon. Got it. Got it. Okay. <sighs> so we'll backtrack a little bit. What do you think about Aragon's dream? Honestly, yeah. not much. Really? I don't really get into the business of interpreting dreams. Um, in terms of literature, I know that they yeah, always Joseph. have meaning. Sorry? Yeah, Joseph. No. Um, really, definitely not Joseph in any way, shape, or form, nor do I really want to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know the shit that happens to Joseph? Yes, but, um, I've read that section of the Bible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I guess like having a Technicolor dream coat on, but still. Um, yeah, the only thing about Joseph had one is the coat. <laughs> but um, in terms of literature, dreams are used heavily in terms of like implications, symbolism, foreshadowing, all that stuff. But with Paolini, he's clearly not going to tell us what's going to happen until it happens. Yeah. So I'm honestly not really going to waste time like trying to find out what happens. Yeah, that's fair. Because... Like with the dreams, Aragon's been having them. Now Saphir is having them, but they're not anything. They're either too obscure or too normal to like directly point in any direction. Yeah, I think it's. I, I mean, I, I, I get. I won't. I'll, I'll interpret ish this dream, um, and interpret the a part of it that maybe people won't think of interpreting. It's very interesting to me that his own, oh, like original family his town Carvajal challenges him in a way you know because the horse literally goes you are son of none or son of who and it's more of a challenging statement from his own family oh lack of better words and I mean I get that's very like different and and then you get the whole you know father I am the father the point is is that with with it just it just surprises me that horse is the one, it, you know, and, and it, or it just makes me it just makes me wonder, like what the scenario is because if I mean I don't think Carvajal is going to betray him. I highly doubt they would, and I also highly doubt that if anyone horse would be the one to be so challenging towards Aragon. You know, I think almost anyone in Carvajal would help him out. You know, as much as they can right off the bat and. And just to save their own butts in terms of Galvatorix. But I think it's very interesting that in his dream, he's gonna, he's kind of getting challenged by horse, you know? And it's, yeah. and I, I don't know if challenge is the right word there. And maybe you have a better word to put there. 
but it just it just intrigues me a little bit that it's horse i guess yeah i mean and there could also be a thousand reasons why that is yeah easily i mean it could be the fact that aragon needs a needs a sword and horse is what he associates with the smith uh it could be that horse is the closest thing to a father figure aragon has left yeah um could be that horse is aside from roaring sort of the de facto like symbolic leader of the Carvajal villagers could yeah. be that Horst is just a respected figure in Aragon's mind. Um, honestly, that's is. And with the father, like I'm the father, I'm coming back like, eh, Brahms final secret. Morrison didn't die. I'll be very mad if that's the case. I hear that. Um, I, I don't, I don't want Morrison back. I feel like that would undermine a lot of Brahms legacy. Me too. Um, which, unless that's what Palini wants to do, if he wants to do that, then sure. But if he tries to play it both ways, it's not going to work. Um, so I really hope that the stream doesn't mean that Morrison's coming back. Because if he does, uh, I don't know. I could see that being a great scene with Murtagh dealing with Morrison. Like Murtagh okay. uh, like confronting Morrison. Okay. But seeing as he's already dead and both of them have been dealing with that for a very long time i don't that that'd be a dangerous one to walk yeah so yeah i'm not sure i like this section it's one of the fellow sections i actually have enjoyed i won't lie. yeah it's because we made we made actual progress with the dwarves oh yeah i love i love his and again i love how work is very understanding of the connection aragon has with Sephira. it is like yeah we gotta go tell her you know yeah so I mean, plus, like, she has to be there. Like, she has to oh, yeah. grace them with her presence. Um, and, and yes, I do realize, everyone, it's stated again in this uh, in this section, and uh, one of our listeners uh, texted us or message, messengered us on um, Facebook. Uh, I do realize that Aragon swore fealty to Nesueda and then was brother. And I remember last session, the last episode, I talked about how there was a situation where you got you got to commit to what you did first. And so, in his scenario, he is committed to what he had first. Okay. Um, so okay. I'm just I am correcting and saying that I do realize that and recognize that um, in that situation. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But um, still, he needs to make so many. He needs to stop making so many goddamn promises. Goodness, dude, you just. Before he knows that all his promises are just going to cross cancel one another. And yeah. He just can't do anything in life. He's going to have to just die. Yeah. Plus, like, especially in your, like, your word and, like, how good your word is, is a lot, is, like, a big part of, like, just how you interact with people in general. Um, for Aragon, the position that he's in, his word, he can get out of promises, but him not keeping them is not good. Yeah. I'm not saying that he's not keeping them. I'm just saying that the more that he makes, the less likely he'll be able to keep them. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. He just he just to stop making promises to every person he, he really should. Across. Yeah, that's all. Uh, I don't know if I have much more to say, people. Yeah, I, I pretty much got nothing. I'm very tired. You very tired? I actually feel pretty good. That's good. That's yeah. good. Got about five hours of sleep. I've gotten. I've been up till five working this whole month, like the entire past of February, more times than not. 
Yeah. And almost all of those were in the past two weeks. Yeah. I got to, I went to bed at like four o'clock, four fifteen. Right. Did you close again? I always close Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Okay. So um yeah, I think I was I was playing Destiny till like two. Nice. Nice. Um Red did a one shot drive to Iowa to take back his grandma. Okay. Is he still up there? Yeah, he left yesterday morning. He's gonna fly back tomorrow night. Okay. Yeah. Is um uh, spring breaks with your spring break. Yeah, because Pops wants us to pull a washing machine out of a ditch out the land. Who? Dad. Want you to pull out of what? Washing machine. Out of land? Out of a creek on the land. Huh. Yay. Up base. Um, Evidently. Yeah. <clears throat> in lunch, probably, but you know. Uh, wait till Friday. I'll come and help you guys. Sorry? You wait till Friday. I'll help. I mean, if you want to, honestly, I think we'll be able to do it ourselves. Okay. And when this episode comes out, people, I will let you guys know. When this episode comes out, the day it came out, I have 14 days left before I get married. Yeah. We're counting down the days, people. Woo. All right. Now I just got here to sleep. I believe you, Armin. Yeah, it's fair. I'm going to go back to sleep. I am not because I got shit to do, but. Yeah, that sucks. People, thank you again for listening. Uh, feel free to reach out to us anytime you'd like. We'd like to reply back to you guys about your emails and messages. We're very bad at it, but we like to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. This uh, thank is... you to all of our patrons. Uh, y'all are fantastic. Your support is much appreciated, and y'all's listening is also much appreciated. Yeah. We are almost. Okay, I say almost done with book three, but granted, it doesn't feel like it. Um, I think with the reading 40 to 50 pages, it will help us go a little bit faster um, in these sections. And then it's on to the last book. And hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe we'll have it done before his fifth book is out. I don't know. Yeah. But we'll find out. We'll get there. And then, yeah. So, everyone, enjoy your day. Go Duke. Props to Krzyzewski for being able to stay in his position for this long and having the career that he has had. Uh, yeah, go Tar Heels. Props to the, prop. Go Tar Heels. Props to Krzyzewski's career. Uh, screw Armin. Uh, Fuck you. Love you too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, but yeah, you guys have a great day, great weekend. Don't kill yourself. Yeah, that's about all I gotta say. Anything else you wanna say? That Pretty way? much. I'm sorry, y'all. We're the sleepies hit hard. Um, it's not even that. I just literally have nothing else in my head to say. Talk about. I'm trying yeah. to think if I do, but nope. So as always, thank you all for joining us, and take care, y'all. That's a wrap. Lights of Allegazium is produced by Chip and Armin, hosted by Chip and Armin, created by Chip and Armin, edited by Chip, music is by Oscar Barbeza, website is by Chip, illustrations are by Birdie Taylor. Thank you for listening and have a great day.